Welcome to Practical Christian Living. What God cares about most of all is the way we interact with one another. That we don't mistreat one another. You could say you're really spiritual, but if you're mistreating your wife, you're not. If you're mistreating your husband, you're not. If you're mistreating your mother-in-law, you're not. The Bible says the mercy we give others is the mercy we receive from Him. So clearly, God wants us to be merciful. The way we love and treat others is so important to God that our prayers can be hindered when we do not love the way God commands. We continue our series out of 1 Peter with chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you again as we gather together here, and we thank you for your word, that it is alive and active, that if it falls upon good ground, that it produces 30, 60, and 100 fold, that it works in the hearts of those who believe, and it can even get down into the middle of our lives where we don't even know how to get in there, and it can produce and make changes. We thank you that we've got your word to turn to, that we can, can study that which is never changing and the same thing that you said to these dispersed Christians in the area of what is modern day Turkey is the same thing you're saying to us here in Tucson the way that we're to live with one another the way that we're to interact with one another and we thank you for this in the name of Jesus we pray amen if you look back to chapter 2 in verse 11 you find the beginning of a section by Peter on Christian conduct. In essence, he's saying, as you have been dispersed throughout the world and you are living for Christ in the middle of a hostile environment, then you need to live for Jesus so people can see Christ in you. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. God wants our, our conduct to be honorable among unbelievers. So that when, look at what it goes on to say, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. That is, they're going to glorify God when they come to Christ because they've seen the good works in your life. They will glorify God in the day of visitation. It is by us living as we are supposed to live that people around us are going to believe what we're saying. If we say one thing and live another way, then people will by no means believe it. In fact, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. It is the love that we have for each other that is the shining light to people that are in the world. They don't know what Orthodox Christianity is. They don't know about being born again or the virgin birth or the resurrection. They might know something about them, but they don't know that that makes us orthodox and not a cult because we believe that Jesus is God. What they do is see a genuine love in us. And by the way, they can spot that false, fake, sappy love a mile away, right? Where someone's just grinning kind of scarily and just kind of like frightened of them, but a real genuine tenderness among each other and so in the introduction of this section he first of all deals with our the way we submit to authority that as we're living for christ we need to submit to authority he talks about 
Slaves submitting to masters or employees, employers submitting to employees, even though they're mistreated at times. And then wives submitting to their husbands so that they might win their ungodly husbands without a word. We saw last week that this section is not so much about marriage as it is about evangelism, winning someone to Christ by, by showing Christ without a word. And then he finally gets to husbands in verse 7. He says, husbands likewise dwell uh, with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together in the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So he speaks of the fact that if you mistreat your wife, then God is not going to hear your prayers. And here he introduces this new topic, which is general conduct. But in this section, he introduces that if you and I mistreat each other, that God will be against us. We find favor with God through the cross. It is by the cross of Christ and his death upon the cross that I have favor with God. I don't have favor because I do good works. I don't have favor because I love you. I don't have favor because I try to go out and do what God wants me to do. I don't have favor with God because I preach. I have favor because of the cross. But once you come into a relationship with God, and kind of like the way that my kids have favor with me, just because they're my kids. I, I love some of your kids, but I love my kids more than your kids. <laughs> not because my kids are better than your kids, because they might not be, but simply because they're my kids. There's just something about that, isn't it? Something about a love of a father for his sons, his daughter. I just love them because they're my kids. Doesn't mean that I didn't discipline them when they were young. Doesn't mean they didn't disappoint me. Doesn't mean that they didn't get in trouble and that I had to discipline to try to straighten out behavior. And so we can find ourselves, even though we are blessed in a relationship with God, we can find ourselves by not living the way that we're supposed to live, especially the way we treat people around us. We can find ourselves hindering what God wants to do in our lives because we aren't treating people around us properly. And I believe by far, and I've said this before, I say it so often, but I really believe it's true. What God cares about most of all is the way we interact with one another, that we don't mistreat one another. You can say you're really spiritual, but if you're mistreating your wife, you're not. If you're mistreating your husband, you're not. If you're mistreating your mother-in-law, you're not. <laughs> or whoever else. If you're mistreating you know, your neighbor across the street, you're not. And so the Bible says the mercy you give is the mercy you're going to receive. God interacts with you based upon your relationships around you. And that should be probably to some a scary thing. If God is going to interact with you in the way that you treat the person that you treat the worst, then do you need to do some repenting now? Do you need to make things right between you and God now? And so he says, finally, this finally, he's wrapping it up, but he's, he's bouncing off of that idea that your prayers will be hindered. You'll see that as we move on here. But he says, finally, all of you be of one mind. This is a plea on his part to these. Remember, it's, it's different churches in different towns all around Asia Minor. And he says, finally, all of you be of one mind. It's really easy to argue over biblical things. In fact, sometimes... It's fun. When I was, before me and Lisa were married, we went to a four-square church. And it was a little four-square church. And every week, one lady would stand up and speak in tongues. Every week. Same time during the worship set, 
she would stand up and she didn't just speak in tongues. She went into a high shrill voice and she spoke in tongues and it was really, it was embarrassing and it was out of order. And so we would go to Denny's after the Wednesday night service and I would regularly tell them that's, you know, that somebody should really take care of that lady because that's really out of order. And the Bible says, and, and, and one gal said, you know what? It doesn't say that. And I said, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. And so I opened up 1 Corinthians 12 and I did a Bible study there with her, 14. And I went all through and I came to the place where it says, if there's no interpreter, then keep silent in the church. And I kind of, what does that mean? Keep silence in the church. And I made my point and Afterwards, I went out to the car and an older guy came up to me. I think he was like 40. <laughs> Saw perspective, right? I was 20. And he came up and he said, you know what? You were right about your text. You're right what you were talking about. But you were so wrong because the Bible says that the man of God, the servant of the Lord, must not quarrel, but be able to teach patient and gentle and you are anything but. It was such a rebuke. It was a spiritual slapdown. <sighs> and I had to learn to not enjoy that biblical jesting. In fact, I don't enjoy it anymore. When someone wants to argue with me now, I just tell them, you know what? I don't want to argue with you. I just give it up. If you, you believe whatever you want to believe. I have no desire to make anybody believe what I believe anymore. If you want to know what I believe, I'd love to share it with you. If you want to tell me what you believe, I'll listen to you for a while anyway <laughs> about what you believe, but I don't want to argue with you. We can believe different things. The Bible says in Corinthians, there are differences among us that the truth can be known. I have good friends who are reformed. At our conference, we have reformed come out. We'll talk about reformed often when we go through the scriptures, but they love Jesus and they've been born again. I don't know whether they think I've been born again or not, but on, you know, there's something that we have that's in common. When he says, finally, be of one mind. I love where other places in the Bible, it says that we are to be in one accord. What is one, to be in one accord? And it's not to be in a Honda, right? I just had to throw that joke out there. It's done. Well, to be in one accord is what? It's like we're all singing together in one accord. And it's all a beautiful thing because we're all in one accord. That's the idea. That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want us all to be in one accord except for one of us. And we're singing something else. It's like when we all start clapping and then either because the person's a really good clapper or because the person's a really bad clapper, I don't know which one it is, but that person starts to clap on that offbeat. It's like everybody else is boom, 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 boom. And then the one person is boom, bap, boom, bap, boom, bap, boom, bap. And it turns it into like a country western worship song. <laughs> and it's like everybody's in one accord except for the one person. God wants us all to be in one accord, that there would be this unity among us. There are differences that are necessary because that causes us to dive into the Bible but you are going to have things that you believe and you're going to be convicted and you're going to be convinced in your own mind about things that you need to do. And in essence, I'm going to read you a passage in Romans that in essence tells us to live our convictions and leave other people alone. Turn with me there. Would you keep uh, something there? So we're going to come back to, to Peter, but turn to Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 1. 
He says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Listen, if we're going to dispute, let's dispute over the things that really matter. Let's, let's make sure we, we are on the same page when it comes to salvation. Let's make sure that we're on the same page when it comes to how we're supposed to live and love and those things that are extremely important for the church, things that we can all agree on. But let's not fight over doubtful things. It says in verse two, for one believes that he may eat meat, all things, actually, one believes he can eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, the reason he's weak is because he's only eating vegetables. No, that's not what that means. It is interesting that he calls the weaker brother the one that only eats vegetables because he has restricted himself from his freedom. We have freedom. We, in Christ, the Bible says, we are, are of all people the most free. And we want to watch what we put laws on. We want to watch that we don't become too legalistic. We draw a lot of lines and we take our freedom away and we become really legalistic. We want to be careful about that. We have freedom. But we don't want to let our liberty, the Bible says, be an occasion for the flesh. We want to be able to let our liberty, the freedom that we have, edify the people around us and draw us closer to Christ. So he says, the one who's weak eats only vegetables. And then verse 3, and I love verse 3 because basically verse 3 says, if you eat only vegetables, leave the other people alone. And if you eat meat and don't eat, then leave the guy that eats vegetables alone. That's what it says. Look at it. It says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. The guy who eats only vegetables looks at the guy who doesn't eat, you know, eats other things and despises them or vice versa. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received them. Hey, God receives them. Doesn't matter if they're sticking to your so-called spiritual diet or not. God has received them. He goes on along this same vein in verse four. He says, who are you to judge another servant? Who, who are we to tell God's servants how they're supposed to live? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. In other words, you know what? God's big enough to tell him he's wrong. We don't have to argue with people, persuade people to believe what we believe. Sometimes I think that we like to argue, and I think I can look back to my arguing days, that I like to argue because I was a little bit unsure of what I believed. And if I could persuade you into believing what I believed, then I had a little bit more confidence. So I kind of like to argue for those reasons. But God's able to bring the truth in. God's able to convince us of what's right and what's wrong. We're going to stand before God. God's big enough to do that. He says in verse five, one person esteems one day above another. This is another thing they thought about in the early church. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Jesus visited the disciples when they were all locked together, hiding on the day he rose from the dead or, or a week after he rose from the dead on Sunday. Then the next Sunday, he showed up again while Thomas was there. And so it just became the thing for the church to do to meet on Sunday morning. But under the law, you met on the Sabbath. You actually met on Friday night. You didn't really meet on Saturday. The Sabbath day was a day to be holy. You took the Sabbath meal on Friday night and you might go to the synagogue on Saturday if it wasn't too far away. You could only walk basically a quarter mile. So if your home was a quarter mile from the synagogue, you definitely didn't go. And you might even buy your home in relation to where the synagogue was if you wanted to be able to go to the synagogue. But it wasn't about going to church. They made it an argument, just like today. Just like Seventh-day Adventists will make it an argument. 
or seven-day Baptists or whatever the group is will make it an argument. And in essence, he says, if you want to worship on Saturday, then more power to you. You want to have church on Saturday? You want to go out and start a church on Saturday and have people come and worship on Saturday? Then do it. But don't judge those who go to church on Sunday or who esteem every day alike. And for those of you who go to church on Sunday or esteem every day alike, to us, every day is the same. We're supposed to serve Jesus every day. We don't just have Sunday that is our Sabbath, but we have every day we're supposed to live for him. So he says in verse five, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Look, rather than arguing about it, just be convinced in your own mind and then live your convictions. He who observes the day, he observes it to the Lord. But he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, and he gives thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks. No one lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. So there's a, a, a good encouragement for us to just live our convictions. If we think that God's speaking to us about a certain way that we're supposed to live and a certain law, then just live it. Just do it. I tell you what, if it's helping you out and you're growing and you're maturing, you'll have opportunities to be able to share those things. But let people make those decisions. Let each one be fully convinced in their own mind. So he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the crowds, that he had compassion on them because he saw that they were sheep without shepherds. Charles Swindoll said, if you preach to the brokenhearted, you will never lack for an audience. And I found that to be true in the ministry that God's given me, that there are always those who are hurting. There are always those that are struggling. Have compassion on one another. You know, when there's nothing going on in our lives, we, we have such a tendency to project our, what's going on in our lives on other people. And we'll think, why are they so upset or what's going on with them or why are they so angry? Have compassion on one another. By doing so, we become very much like Christ. Love the brethren or love as brethren. The word there is connected to the word phileo, which is the word that means fondness. Love the brethren. This is an agape. At other places, it says that we are to agape one another and that they'll know that we are disciples by the agape that we have for one another. That's unconditional love. But this is a fondness. Let there be a fondness for the brethren and the sisterin that we would be excited to see one another. One of my pet peeves is when there's a concert at a different church, and I hope it's not like this at our church. It might be to some degree, but when there's a concert at another church and I go to the concert and I walk down the hallway and there's other Christians walking around and they're just ignoring each other as if they don't exist. I love when eye contact is made and there's an excitement to see one another. I like when I develop a relationship with someone. Maybe it's just meeting them one or two times, but seeing them again and saying, ah, your name is. And, and I love that interaction. And I dislike it when Christians just kind of look at each other and walk away. I think this isn't how it should be. A fondness, a love for the brethren. Be tenderhearted. I think of Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Being tender-hearted and be courteous. Just be, just be courteous to each other. And then in verse 9, he says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Now, he goes from the way that we are to interact with one another to the way that people are treating us that are out in the world. And you and I live in a unique time unlike them, 
that we have every day an opportunity to actually live this. And that's when we're driving our car. Because sooner or later, verse 9, the beginning there, is going to become true for us. Not returning evil for evil. Sooner or later, someone is going to do something evil to you in the car. And you are not to return evil for evil. And boy, don't you just want to? When someone pulls out and cuts you off, don't you just want to run around them and cut them off as well? I want to do that even though on the back of my car I've got Revelation 22.7. I've got a scripture on the back of my car. I want to go and cut them off. Hope they don't recognize me. <laughs> my black charger with the scripture on it. Not return or reviling for reviling when someone's cursing at you that you can just kind of let it go. And I think there's something in us too when we're driving that it's just so easy to do that. I was um, in that car the other morning. I was on my way to the staff meeting. I was late. And I kind of get on the staff if they're late. So I really didn't want to be late. And uh, the car in front of me was a white Mustang. And it was talking to somebody who in the car next to them, the turning left lane, and the light turned green. And I waited for, I don't know, three seconds. It was a long time. And I, uh, I gave my horn a tap, just like, bah, bah. it wasn't rude. It wasn't a beep, get out of the way, you jerk. It wasn't that. It was simply, hey, light's green. That's right, beep, beep, light's green, let's go, come on. That's what it was. And uh, guy looked in his rearview mirror at me, stared me down. So I kind of did one of these, like trying to be just as nice as I could, like, I just want to go to work, buddy. That's what I was saying, just, I just want to go. So he revved up his Mustang and he peeled out and took off. And I had all I could do when we got stuck at the next light together to not go. <laughs> Bully for you, your white Mustang, you know. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to race you. But I got to tell you, there's something inside of me that wanted to put my foot down. There's something inside of me that wanted to say, I think I can take that Mustang. I think I can get in front of him before the next light. But I didn't. I promise. It's a good opportunity for us to really practice it. But there's a place, and that's where we work and where we live and, and where we interact with people, that these things can be true as well. Because people don't always treat us the way they're supposed to. People in the world don't. When I was in my early 20s, I had uh, sold a shop. I had, I had a shop that I had for a few years, and I sold it. And uh, it's really funny because he had offered me like $35,000 for the shop. He was retiring. He wanted the shop. I went and I told Lisa, and she was like, you're taking advantage of him. It's not worth that. I went back to the guy the next day and told him, you know what? I'll take 15. I took 15,000 instead of 35,000 from him. To this day, I'm like, why didn't I take 35,000 from him? <laughs> it was worth it. She didn't understand how much a business made and how much it was worth. But anyway, we were fine because God took care of us. But I needed to get a job after I'd sold my shop. So I'd gone into a place that did vinyl tops and radios and cruise controls and pinstriping and side molding. And I told him, listen, an upholstery shop would work really well in your business. You have the space here for it. I'd love to start it for you. You start it, you do the advertisement. I'll do it, I'll train guys for you. And then in a couple of years, I'll move on. And he said, well, I'm gonna be putting out a lot of money. I'm gonna be investing in machines and advertisement and getting this whole department set up. How do I know that you're not gonna leave before you have people really ready to take it over? So I told him, all right, I'll stay for a year and a half. You know, you should never really promise something before you pray about it. Because when I talked to this guy, he was super nice. It was a well-known shop in the town, but he was a psycho boss. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.